Hello and welcome to our final episode of Talking Toffees for the season. Tonight, Andy and I are joined by Mac, local author and Everton season ticket holder. We'll swiftly review that disaster at the Etihad and we'll also review our season as a whole. Thanks for coming back on, Mac. How have you been since we last spoke? Uh, really good, fellas. Uh, all things considered, yeah. Uh, fighting fit, mate. Good. Just Everton. Yeah, that's the only thing. <laughs> the fly in the ointment. Well, we'll get started. So the quicker we start, the quicker we can move on and bring the season to an end ourselves. Man City 5, Everton 0. It was a horrendous way to end the season. And I think for most, I said to you, Matt, before we started recording, I don't think it was a surprise that we lost. But I think the manner in which we lost was unacceptable. Um before we go into the game, and as I say, hopefully it'll be brief for the listeners, I just want to ask you both about the team um, and what your thoughts were, if you had any, about the lineup and the formation. I'll start with you, Mac. When the team was announced, was there anything there that was of concern, or did you think Carlo went with as attacking as you could have done in the circumstances? I, th- I thought we were quite defensive, but I've got to be honest, I don't like, I'm not a fan of three at the back because I think it relies too much on the wing backs to do all the work going forward. Um, so, and obviously without uh, Coleman, it makes it twice as hard. Yeah, I think that that was my con- concern, not when the team was announced, but when we kicked off, it was clear that the core was playing, operating as a winger slash wing back. And, I actually don't think he, he's been 100% since he's came back. And it's just the, the balance was all wrong to me. I mean, I, I'm quite critical of Mason Algy to the best of times. I, I'm not a fan of his. And I think him and the Corey on the right hand side, it, it just didn't work. Albeit, you know, with Coleman being injured and Hammers not even being in the country, there was probably not a lot, you know, that Ancelotti could have done there. Um, for you, Andy. Were there any major reactions from yourself regarding the team or did you think he went as strong as he could? Yeah, I mean, straight away, that you're looking down that, as you said there, looking down that right-hand side and it was looking like it was going to be Decore, sort of doing a lot of covering down that side and I think he tried that early on in the season, if I remember right. Um, I think we got exploited and when you're playing Man City, given the situation that they were going to lift the Premier League title, I think we were always going to struggle in that area of the pitch, definitely. And as you said, Holgate's not been in the best of form lately. I suppose neither is Michael Keane um, on that side as well. So, yeah, I was a little bit, um, you know, when I seen Sigurdsson in there as well, I would obviously like to see Rodriguez, but that wasn't possible. He wasn't even in the country kind of thing. But it's, um, yeah, I thought we had a chance. I thought we had a chance as long as they didn't explode us in our, in our areas of weakness, which clearly was down that, that right-hand side for me. Did you both expect City to go so strong? I didn't myself. I thought with the Champions League final this weekend, it might have been a bit more winnable because of rotation. But I was, I was a bit deflated when I saw their team. We were either of you surprised, Matt? What was your take on City's lineup? Yeah, I, I like you. I was kind of hoping they'd rest their players, but we should know. Better. Uh, Guardiola's got form, hasn't he, for sort of playing the best side he can. 
um, irrespective of what the next occasion is. So, yeah, I was a bit deflated when I saw it. I, I actually, and always, I always fancy Everton, and always, even the form we've been in lately, I always think we've got a chance, particularly with Ancelotti. Uh, so, yeah, um, I thought we had a chance, but even with the lineup, I thought, you know, you just never know. We've done well against all the big sides this year, um, or the so-called Sky Six. Uh, that's another story, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, uh, as not to be, unfortunately. And touched on it there with the team. Um, just going off on a tangent, but whilst it's cropped up, and I'll start with you. What what did you make of the Hammers tweet? I know in this day and age. Quite a lot of fuss can be made of a social media, you know, tweet or a post. What did you make of, you know, one of our best players, if not our best playmaker, on a plane before our season's finished? Bearing in mind we could have still got Europe. Did that bother you? You know, could, could you see the human level point of view in the sense that he hadn't saw his daughter in X amounts of months? What was your take? No, I, listen, I, I, I get all that and I get that the footballers are human beings. I just think that there wasn't much thought gone into that, you know, the, the impact that could have uh, on the fan base, uh, if you get what I mean. And, you know, they could have, no one could have been wiser and he could have been back in Colombia seeing his family and doing whatever he needs to do as, you know, a human being. And that's fine. But I think with social media, they've got players have got a responsibility, in my opinion, as well. Um, you know, he's clearly getting paid a lot of money. There's a lot of fans that, that die for the club, do you know what I mean? So to, to see that, I think it was a big kick in the teeth for a lot of people. I'm not going to hold, hold it against them. Um, just like I wouldn't with a you know a, a player not at his calibre. Uh, so I think that other people that would sort of let him off with it, but not let other, you know, it needs to be consistent. Yeah. But I just think he could have been a little bit more sensible with, with what he's doing and, and realising that he, you know, he is playing for a club that's got um, you know, a very loyal fan base. And it potentially could upset people. Uh, so yeah, just learn and hopefully, hopefully, the club have addressed it with them or will address it with them. Anyway, I'd like to think so. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I was disappointed, and I actually thought it was a bit cringy. Um, I might upset some fans now, but I thought it was a bit cringy that there was ever talking to the answer his daughter. You know, he's a he's a multi-millionaire that's paid a lot of money to play football, and you know. He could comfortably see his daughter at any point. We've been in the middle of a pandemic where families haven't saw one another. And it just felt, given that we could have still got Europe on the last day, for him to be lying on a bed on a jet, it just didn't sit right at all. I was disappointed. Like you, I'm not going to hold it against him and I wish him all the best in Colombia, but I just didn't like the tweet. I just thought, I actually... The next day when we lost 5-0, I thought something isn't right here. We've got our star, star man in Colombia and we've just got absolutely annihilated when we could have got Europe. I just it just didn't sit right with me and it still doesn't now. Um for you, Mac, what what's your take on it? Yeah, pretty much the same as both here. It was a PR disaster for Everton, I think. I saw what they were trying to do, but I get the impression because of who he is, I don't know whether Everton know how to handle a player like him. Uh, and I wonder whether they were just being far too uh, easy, mm-hmm. you know, let, letting him do almost what he wanted at the detriment of us getting into Europe, perhaps. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And the, the one thing that we haven't mentioned, which is actually unforgivable, is that he was fatigued to play against Wolves. Now, the, the, the problem I had with this is that was the first opportunity Hammers had to play in front of the Evertonians. And I just felt if he was that fatigued and tired, still go to Goodison and still introduce yourself to the fans that are at Goodison. And he, he wasn't interested. And I think there's a lot of truth in what you said there, Mac. I, I think Everton don't know how to handle him. I think he's almost got free reign to do what he wants. And that's my worry that, yeah, it's great attracting all these players, but seeing Hammers lying back like that before the season finished was just, nah, it's not it's not right. Um, it's clear. You said, I think you said that last uh, last VP, it's clear that we can't rely on him. He's not a reliable sort of player on the pitch. And I think off the pitch, clearly the club are going to try and get out of, you know, try and make it work for them, the situation, with it, you know, given his stature and stuff like that. But we've got to be, you know, focused about what's on the pitch at the end of the day. And the most important thing about our club is the fan base, and we've got to make sure they're getting treated right. And I think, as you said, uh, an introduction of some sort or a reference to him of some sort would have been nice. To, uh, ideally, him there to come sort of half time or whatever it is to sort of well, one, one, not just him, but you though. But 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 if if you if you were a if you were him, surely you'd think I'd want to meet the fans. I mean that's I'd like to think it, so. Yeah, yeah. The, the way I've looked at it is just he doesn't didn't really care, you know. And I'm not saying that's the case, but that's how it looks. I I love Hammers, his ability, brilliant, and when he signed. I thought it was one of the biggest signings I've, I've ever saw in my lifetime with his ability, but you know, that the honeymoon period's over, isn't it? And yeah, I, as I say, I wish him all the best in club. You know, next season hopefully he comes back a better player with better players around him. But um, just as you as you both say, it was a PR disaster, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, get, getting back to the game then, um, it just felt and I, I messaged you, Andy before the ball was kicked, that Aguero will come on and get a, a goal or two. It just felt like Aguero's testimonial, didn't it, the game? Um, it was just... It, it was pat- it was pathetic. I think that that's the only way I, I could describe it. Um, we can go through the goals if you want. I mean, after the De Bruyne one, I gave up. Seeing De Bruyne at that space and the lack of pressing, I couldn't believe it. I think somebody on Sky mentioned it at the time. It was like a penalty for him. It was so easy. Um, but rather than the individual goals, just Everton's performance in general. Mac, you, how concerned were you by that lack of hunger? Bearing in mind, had we won, obviously Tottenham won, so you know we know now we could have got Europe. But at the time, those players, had they won, they would have had an opportunity to get Europe. So I'm concerned about a few that that hunger for Europe just wasn't there yet again. Yeah, very, uh, very concerned. I think um, I read something or heard something that Ancelotti had said. You know that we talk about pressing. I wonder whether he prefers what he refers to as blocking instead. So I don't know whether we are. He wants us to press sides, but I think. Before Ancelotti took over at Everton, I I saw or saw a press conference where uh, Klopp, the manager of the other shower, was on, and Napoli had done a job on Liverpool in the Champions League, and he, I remember him saying, 
Ancelotti's teams are impossible to play against. And obviously, they have better quality than us. But when they've got the ball, they have one shape. And you see that at Everton, don't you? When they haven't got the ball, they squeeze. Now, I don't think it's pressing. I just think he wants them to push up in certain areas of the field. And I don't know whether the players have got the desire to do what he wants them to do. Because I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. It certainly wasn't overconfidence against City. Some of it, it might have been underconfidence, to be fair. But I think with a lot of them, they don't, it doesn't hurt enough when they lose. I've played in teams where when I haven't played well, I've got a flame here. We need that attitude like we had in the perhaps in the 80s, where you'll be told. I remember hearing about a story where Reedy had told a story about, he told Trevor Stephen how crap he was during the game and then yeah. Stephen scored. And, and it's that sort of attitude. We need Alan, someone, to be saying, Oi, pull your finger out. That's not good enough. Yeah, Mac, you made an excellent point. And this is something where, at the moment, it might be a bit doom and gloom, but there's been performances, especially away from home, where you refer to it as a block. And I, I know what, 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 you, what you mean by that. And ever have been unbelievable at it at times where... You know, I sometimes I almost contradict myself. I'm not, I don't really rate most of our defenders, but there's been away games where one seven have scored. I've felt confident that they're not conceding today because as a block and as a unit, there's nowhere to go, there's no spaces. But as you say, it's not consistent. But all those away performances that we had, it's not consistent when you look at not only City, but, but also our own form. And it does, unfortunately, it comes down to attitude, doesn't it? And I suppose a million-dollar question, you know, I'll ask you, Andy, how do you change the, the attitude and the culture of the team? Is it is it the team or does it, you know, I see some fans say it starts at the top where you have that winning mentality. Is it that drastic? You know, for you, how do you try and change that, that attitude? I think it's a bit of a hybrid, to be honest with you, between the both. I think you've got to have the right players. You've at least got to have a few players in the team that are serial winners. Um, and then from the top as well, including the, the 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 coaching team, the sort of you know leadership team within the in the club needs to be demanding just the highest of standards possible. Um, and I feel that <clears throat> a little bit inconsistent. Well, I don't know from the outside, it seems like it's a little bit inconsistent in the Everton ranks somewhere. Uh, a lot of people are sort of okay with being second best and you know that's not the Everton way and we need to get back there. we need to get back to accountability at the end of the day as Mark was saying there someone telling someone that he wasn't good enough you know I know they paid a lot of money now but you've got to question the hunger of the players you've got to question the the role of the background staff what are they doing in order to try and embed a culture that is about winning you know, the, the likes of Man United, the likes of, you know, Man City nowadays, you know, the likes of other, some of the top clubs, the serial winners right throughout the squad, whether it's, you know, coaching team, the squad, all across the, the, the club itself. Yeah, you, you spot on. And that's what angered me in that, you know, I know City are much far better than Everton and, and I, I assume that they would win, but not not after 13 minutes when we had a, an opportunity in Europe and it comes down to attitude and you can't coach it or teach an attitude, can you? You've either got it or you haven't. And I don't know if you lads have saw it, but there was a, a video that started to resurface 
from a couple of years ago about David Moyes explaining the type of player Everton would sign. And he commented at the time that a lot of our signings were not Everton signings in that they might have come with quality, but they didn't really understand the culture of Everton. And I'm not saying you have to be workman like to play for Everton, but you know, we've got players now, Hammers are brilliant, but you know, the likes of him saying I can't play fatigue. Then as you say, Mac, it's too comfortable losing a game, it doesn't hurt them enough. And you know, there was a time where a team like Sheffield United come to Goodison, and I'm not even talking about the eighties, even on the Moyes. Team like Sheffield United come to Goodison and score. It's almost a reaction like you cheeky bastards, you know, and then you give them a slap with a few goals. But Sheffield United to come and score and we can't recover from it. And there was an acceptance. And is that when when we say it's a big summer, and we'll probably say it again later on the podcast, when we say it's a big summer, is that why it's a big summer? Because of the type of character Everton bringing? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's adding to the some of the characters we've already got. Because I think there's no you can't question Alan for his attitude. You might his form, you might his fitness at times this season. But I think more of that, more of that, it it's not only not only for me, it's not even knowing the Everton culture. It's having that kind of culture that you win at all costs, almost, you know, um to 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 be you know, to, to sort of um, use the old Joe Royal one, to discourage the opposition at times, you know, and that, you know, that means perhaps putting the boot in at times and taking a yellow if you have to. It's you are not losing that game and you find a way not to lose it. Now, we well, we are going to lose games, but when you lose, it hurts like hell. And there, we need, we don't, they can't all be like that. Let's, let's look at the 80s. They went all of that ill. Let's look at the great sides of Everton have ever had. They weren't all the same, every one of them. But you need a core of people yeah. with that attitude. And the leaders have to sort of make sure that that message is getting through to the others, just like Andy was saying. But even even if they're not all like that, market it spreads, doesn't it? And, you know, even if you look look back at Kevin Sheedy, he was a quiet man who wouldn't want to mix it, but... He scores a goal in front of the cop and he's giving it the two fingers. It mattered, you know what I mean? It, and yeah, it spreads yeah. that, that, you know, I know people might say it's a bit juvenile, but, but that kind of thing, it matters. It, you know, you, you want to get one over your idols. And I do think we've got some good characters and I'm sure we'll talk about Ben Godfrey later, but, you know, he's the kind of player that I think Evertonians warm to in an instant because you know right away he's Everton. He gets Everton. And we don't ask for a lot. Guys, we waited long enough for the trophy. We still keep going back for more. We just ask for commitment, don't we? And I think that's why when you're seeing a player on a jet, and the frustrating thing is the younger generation instantly are on the defensive. I don't know if you've heard that, Mac, but I'll be it myself in a few weeks. It's this Everton Dar phrase, whereby if you're upset or you want to challenge anything, the younger generation thinks that these players can't be held to account. I suppose it's a balancing act, isn't it? You don't want to going over the top but you know when you lose the way we did it, it does it does sting and it does make you ask ask those questions um but on the game the disaster there was an incident that i think is worth talking about and i don't want to make it sound like you know it's an excuse because it was unacceptable how we played but 
I still don't understand the, the rules, to be honest. Richarlison goes clean through on goal. He's only got the goalies to beat. Diaz takes him out. For me, it's a penalty. I don't know about you, lads. I'm presuming you both thought it was. But for me, it's a straight red. And, and you know, the disappointing thing for me is not only Everton played reaction, there should have been more of them surrounding the referee, but even Sky at half time, Jamie Redknapp saying, well, it was an honest attempt to win the ball. I mean, I'll start with you, Mac. What was your take on, on that incident? Well, I tweeted about it at the time. I was furious. Uh, I, I don't normally get that wound up during the game. I try and keep a lid on it. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you. But I think, I've got to be honest, I looked the rules up afterwards and I think the rules changed. So I think if the referee, and he was a good referee, he is a good referee, there are not many of them. If it's deemed to be an honest challenge, as, as Sky said, or a, a, not an honest challenge, a challenge for the ball, if the guy's going for the ball, then it doesn't have to be a red now, apparently. Yeah. It, 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 and that's, that's what, to me, I, I'm perhaps a bit old-fashioned. For me, I was going by on the basis that he was the last man. Mm-hmm. And he wiped our player out and the goalie helped him. So for me, I wouldn't have been bothered if they both got sent off. I've, I'd have, you'd have seen that years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, the, pro- the problem I've got with that real, Mac, yeah, you're spot on, that is the real. What happens if, you know, the way I put it, if, let's say Touch woke off a bit, Richarlison's leg was snapped in two. But it's not a record because it was an honest attempt at the ball. It's so subjective that I think all that allows for bias uh, I just can't I can't imagine the other way around Sterling or mm-hmm. Jesus go bearing down on goal and, and an Everton play not being sent off and uh, yeah I, I get that he tried to win the ball but it was such a desperate late tackle and he's been probably player of the season Diaz but he, he had to get his marching orders there um, for you Andy do you think can you see why he wasn't sent off I, I was I was calling for a uh, for a red card myself. I I feel Everton were penalised in the well they were, Everton were penalised in the situation. You know we threw one goalie round to the keeper. All right, he had a, a bit of a, a tight a tight angle you know to finish it on. But I'm I'm confident you know 99 sure he would have put it away. Um, obviously he's brought him down. He took a booking and we've missed a pen- and it's, we've been penalised in that situation. And you know yeah it doesn't sit right with me as well that's a red card for me if the way what I've grew up playing I understand the rules have changed and whatever but it's um no I think there's a few things you've got to take back to the Jordan board there well I think and Mac correct me if I'm wrong but you might have actually been on the last podcast when this happened but if you go back to Luca Dean record at Southampton this season I mean when you look at that record and actually at the time was saying well I can understand why it was a record how can Luca Dean be sent off <clears throat> potential accidental stand on someone's ankle and then compare it to what happened with the ass it's incredible and it just you can't help but think it's who you played for um, and I know it's clutching the straws but you know at the same time had Evan scored the penalty and they go down to 10 men it's a different game isn't it I mean we don't I don't think anyway we lose by that scoreline um, the other issue is encroachments um it goes to VAR and because Kyle Walker's leg wasn't on the floor, it wasn't given. I counted three City players in the area. I don't want to excuse Sigurdsson. You should always score your penalty. Mark, do you think we're clutching the straws there or 
when you saw the encroachment, do you think that they got it wrong and it should have been retalked? Yeah, no, I don't think we are. I think we'd be accused, the three of us, to anybody who was a City fan of being bitter blues. Mm-hmm. But you're right. To go back to your original point, um, I do feel that if uh, they'd have been through on goal and the same would have happened to our defenders, we would have had a man sent off. Um, just like the Luca Dean incident you've referred to. And yeah, I agree with you. We were We were doing the same here. My daughter and I were watching it and we were saying that there are three men encroaching in the area. Why can't they see that? And that, again, can only be down to, oh, it's City. You know, we don't really want to upset the apple cart. And it makes us sound bitter and twisted, but that's how it is. That, that's, yeah. how, that's how we can only see it. And we're, look, this is days and days after the game. I'm quite calm and collected about it. They were encroaching. For whatever reason, VAR decided not to penalise them for that. Well, the the other thing I, I would say, and people might say I'm being harsh on Everton because it's not Everton player's job for the referees to, to, you know, call the shots in terms of getting the rules right. But had it been the other way around, I guarantee you'd have had Pep Guardiola screaming at the fourth official and you would have had at least five to six City players surrounding the ref and saying, go to your monitor. Now, in fairness, you had Alan, and I think there was, might have been Holgate or someone with him. But we talk about attitude and winning at all costs. Mm-hmm. I want, uh, it sounds like being a bit OTT, but even just stopping short of Jordan Pickford, I want the Everton team surrounding that referee. Mm-hmm. And because I look at Alex Ferguson's Man United teams, they were horrible for it. They, they, they mm-hmm. were almost bullying the referee into a decision. But it's that attitude of winning at all costs. And when you're when your team's wrong in any way, which we were with the red card, you've got to call it and, and, and make the referee make a decision. And I go to, to the West Ham game. Josh King headers it. No one realises at the time, but it may have been a handball. Well, the very on didn't need to check it because nobody asked the question. And maybe in that rare scenario, nobody saw it because it happened so quick. But what, it, what I'm trying to get at is if you make an issue or something, then all of a sudden VAR have to look at it. Has to do the referees. And I just want Evan to be a bit more a, a bit more savvy, I suppose, in that regard. Um I've just You're going off on a tangent. Well, I'm gonna go off on a tangent. Um and it took me this this amount of years to watch it back. But Evan's penalty at Wembley, I only found out today there was a clip of it because of David De Gea's that was his last penalty save. Did you see the amount of players in the in the Everton area when Lukaku took it? Have you saw that, Mark? I haven't seen it recently, no. It, it's, I don't think I a, ever played it back, to be honest with you. I, I never watched the game back yeah. at all. because it, it, No. It, it, I never, it, it was horrible to watch, but I played it today because enough times passed. Now, there's three Man United players in the area before Lukaku hit it. Look, a lot further that, than Man City players as well. A, a lot further. It was comical, yeah. but... I think <laughs> one of their players is going to run up and put it in his left foot. Yeah. I think you'd be here all night with me if we started listening to the refereeing decisions. Um, so, so, yeah, the, the City game was a disaster. As it turned out, I know it's only a crumb of comfort, but we couldn't have got Europe anyway with Tottenham winning at Leicester, which actually I never saw. I thought Leicester would beat Tottenham. Um, but it's no excuse, is it, for, for how we played? That was 
you know, the last game of the season and that's it now, you know, for another year. So start with you, Matt. How, how concerned are you then going into the next season that that's the last memory of, of Everton that you've got? Would you take, would you, how significant is that defeat and the manner in which we lost? I suppose that's the question. There's two ways to look at this. Uh, it's significant in our minds, obviously. It's painful to think about as fans. But I think where the significance is perhaps might work in our favour is that Ancelotti was in, was, a, was in charge and he saw that again. He'd seen it a few times and perhaps could make excuses for it. I know he said it was unacceptable against Sheffield United and he perhaps didn't expect very much from the game. But again, it goes back to the manner in which we lost. And I think that told him a lot about the group of players he's got that, that result. So my hope is that that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And we actually, you know, we, when we think about bringing people in, they think more about the character as, as much about the skill of the player that we're bringing in and what he's brought in to do. Yeah. I'll see you on the Luther 5-0. You know, do, do you place much significance on the way we lost and the results, or do you look at it as well? Actually, Ancelotti will have learned an awful lot about the side from that game. I, I think there's enough already been seen this season. I'd like to think anyway for him to know that. Um, and I think I've seen his face on a few occasions and, and picking up on a few things he said. I think he already knows that who's who, who, who needs to go, who needs to be moved on and who's not right for the club. Um, yeah, the, the manner, it, it, it stung, kind of summed up, you know, it didn't sum up the season, that would be unfair to say, but it summed up the, you know, the disappointment side of the season, uh, that performance the other day. And get be 5-0 against City, that can happen. It can happen to anyone on, the, on you know, if they're on the game, but it's how easy we allowed it to happen. We, we, <laughs> I disagree. I don't think that should happen. I mean, I'm going to be a bit arrogant, but no, I'm saying it can it can happen if they're on their game. Do you know what I mean? And you're not sort of at it. But where they on the game? That that that's the more deflating part of it. Where they actually on the game? It was so easy. Um, I know what you mean. Man City are a top team, but I just don't think Everton should ever lose by that scoreline to anybody in England or Europe. You've got to have more fights and fight about ourselves. It's deflating, isn't it? Because you know you're left thinking, oh, it's another big summer, and how many years have we we've been saying it for now? There's a big summer. It comes a point where you know you've got to look back and and look at the, the activity that that we've done, the dealings we've done. Um, but yeah, we finished tenth. That that's it, done and dusted. So, Mac, looking back over the season, tenth in the table is where we finish. What what's your what, what are your overriding thoughts on the season? Uh, a promising start. Um, lots of optimistic hope, as, as we always like to have at the beginning of the season. But uh, the, the, the run we went on, bit of a fluke, perhaps, as it turned out. Um, but gradually um, had to change our style of play when we started leaking goals. Then... Won a few games ugly, uh, got the all important win at uh, at the other at the other shower at Anal Field, yeah, um, and then the wheels seemed to come off the last three months. 
Now, what was that? Don't know. I've got to be honest. I'm sure Ancelotti's scratching his head, but I think some of it was injuries, some of it was fatigue, and some of it was just loss of form. If you look at, uh, we'll go into the players, I know later on, but Richarlison, his form just fell off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wasn't the only one. There were some players who had really good periods in the season, but I can't think of one who was good for the whole season. And I know you mentioned Godfrey. He's perhaps one, you might say. But I've got a caveat about him later on, which I'll come up with. Um, but, yeah, promising. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think we finished where we deserve to finish. I don't think the league tells a lie. I, I, we're not good enough, yes. And that's my override thought at the end of the season. Couldn't disagree with anything. I think you summed that up brilliantly, Mac. Um, yeah, agree with all of that. You know, it, it's it's sad, but but you know, I, I don't think the league table ever lies after thirty games. Um, it is what it is, isn't it? There's an awful lot of work to do, but but hopefully from this season and the, that results in City, now we might finally see what a big summer is for Everton. And that that's not just players coming in, is it? You know, maybe. If we can get rid of some players that are here at the moment and, and have that clear out, and that might help change the not just the quality but the attitude within the team. And the, how would you sum it up yourself? Yeah, well, my Max just said, um, <laughs> no, that, that, it was a brilliant it was, summary, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's spot on. Um, really exciting first part of the season, really exciting, and, and it's it's hard to remember that given what we've just seen towards the end, but it's easy to forget, but it was really exciting. Um, obviously, we went through that difficult period, but then it seemed to be, you know, we got back on board and we were going for Europe and that, um, but it just fell apart. I don't know whether, from the outside, from my opinion anyway, I think there's something at the club, there's a rift or there's been there's been some sort of breakdown in the dynamics, but that could just be a little bit of drama I'm, I'm looking for. Um, it could be a, a mixture, but we did look tired towards the back end of the season, more so than other clubs in our situation. Um, so I think it could be, you know, Mark could be right, there could be a combination of different things going on that, that led to that. But disappointing overall, I would say, you know, if I look at it, you know, the league table, they're 10th place. I, I'm, I'm disappointed with that, given how great we started. And it was mentioned last week that we're around the, the Christmas period, we, we were still second. Um, obviously, we, we, I think realistically, I didn't expect us to finish there, but... Europe was a must and a, and a set at that point and to not get it and to actually finish a few places out it's got to be classed as disappointing So would you go as far as to say it was a failure then? I would say so I would say so yeah I agree Do you know b- before the season started if you would have said to me Everton will compete for Europe until the final day we'll just miss out but you'll finish higher than 12th then I would say, well, that's progress because the last season we had nothing to play for with about 10 games to go. We finished 12, so of course it's progress. But but as you touched on, for me anyway, the season was so poor in quality. There were so many opportunities. There was points being dropped left, right and centre. And yet, not only could we not capitalise, on the final day we plummeted to 10. So for me, unfortunately... You know, not not dramatic in terms of I don't want heads to roll, but I would say the season was a failure. Um, Mac, would you be as 
pessimistic is that, or, or would you would you stop short of saying the season was a failure? Yeah, I'm, I might do only only because uh, we we got more points than we did in a previous year, and we're higher in the table. So, as hard as it is to to agree, I I everything in my head is telling me, or sorry, let let's say my feelings are that it's a failure and that's partly due to our poor form in the last game. But if you look at it logically, we got more points. And as you've just pointed out, we fought to the very last game. I mean, all right, fought maybe the wrong word for, to describe mm-hmm. the way our players on, on were playing. The last game. <laughs> yeah. we, we, went, we went in with a chance into the last game. Yeah. Um, and you want something to play for until the last game of the season, every season, don't you? As a fan, and I know to go back to what you said, I agree with you on this five nil thing because I'll come away, I'll go to Goodison and I'll come away. And if I know those players have given their all, and that doesn't happen very often these days, does it? You can say that with a modern player, but if I feel as they've given them all, but they've still lost the game, I'm absolutely fine with it. As mm. you know, as fine as I can be, I don't like to lose, but I feel as though. In, with some of the defeats, this certainly the last second half of the season, you've got to question, and why should we still be doing that now? You've got to question, you know, the effort, you know, the attitude. Don't understand it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on on that point, then, Mark, if we're questioning the attitude and um, the, the lack of hunger, if you like, what? I know it's a difficult question to answer with the season only finishing, but what would you say Everton need? And that could be incomings or outgoings. Is there anything that you'd like to see yourself? Yeah, uh, I'd like, and it, this is almost like a wish list. It's, it's not going to happen, I'm sure. I'd like to see Delph uh, gone. I think he's a bad influence, personally. I think he was brought in with all the right reasons, but I don't think he can perform in the Premier League any longer. I don't think he's physically up for it, um, but his attitude is the one for me. So I'll drive him to the airport if you want, wherever you want him to go. And another player who I would, you know, doesn't. when we talk about the players, I've got other players who I, I think we should get rid of as well. But my main two is, the other one is Alex Awobi, because I don't think Alex Awobi has got whatever you need for a club like Everton. He's... He's got all the attributes physically. He's quick, but he hasn't got that thing. Uh, those two other things that have played. We needed Everton. Hasn't got a football brain. It looks when he runs on the pitch sometimes. It looks like he's never played football ever in his life. He starts going uh, across the pitch, doesn't he? Rather than down the wing. I can't. I can't get my head around it. Yeah. And then he hasn't got that grit that a player needs. You know, he's the one. He's one of those players. There's a few of them in our squad. Regretfully. Uh, we goes missing when the tough when it goes when the, you know when the, it, it gets the tough gets going oh well, I can't even can't even get my words out properly when it gets tough on when the goal gets tough they they don't want to know basically. he he doesn't want to know that's what I'm trying to say and that's, no I agree I agree yeah yeah do, do you know what Mark and this ties into maybe a question for later on the two thing that the two things that stand out there for me is. I agree with both of those players and I was actually with Andy. We were having a few drinks tonight, myself, Fabian Delft, and, and both, both of us looked at each other and what are we doing? 
Alex, so well, we was another one where you know we message saying what are we doing and what I'm getting at is we're now looking to set. Hopefully, we'll get rid of those two players because I agree. I don't know what Andy thinks, but I don't think they're good enough. But what I'm getting at is Marcel Brands brought both of those players into the club. So I think, and I don't want to start just pointing fingers because we've lost the game and never got Europe. But I, I think. There's got to be questions about Marcel Brand, and I'm, I'm not saying again. I don't want anyone's head to roll, but you know we're, we're trying to move on players he signed, and I see a lot of fans talk about the damage that Kuhn and Allardyce and Silver have done. But you know, a lot of the players that have been brought in by Brands now, and how long can Marcel Brands be at the club? And I'll say it's another big summer before we go. Hold on a minute, you know you, you need to be delivering in here. Um, in your point, from your point of view, Mark, are you are you starting to worry about Marcel Brand's impact on this team, or do you, do you think long term he he'll come good? Uh, those two signings concern me, but if I look at him them in isolation, I think Awobi is the one that concerns me the most because I don't get it. If we were allegedly after a winger, it's not him, is it? And I don't understand why he was on the shortlist. So that's my concern. Delph, I kind of get. I didn't want him mm-hmm. um, myself. But if you look at the Paul Power signing in the 80s, if you look at Gareth, Gareth Barry, Barry, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. If he would have been even an ink, you know, if he'd have given us a season like either of those two players, then you'd have gone, oh, you got to get that. Mm-hmm. I think the reason they brought him in was because, as Mason Holgate referred to him on something I watched online as the angriest man in the world, I think he was he was the one that was going to kick everybody up the arse and make sure the attitude was right and have this winning mentality. But I think they read it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think he, you know, the way um, Andy's just mentioned as a rift, I think it could be him even. It could be that he's pissing people off and he's not even in the side. I don't know. I'm reading. I'm making this up as I go along. But um, we all are. To go back to your question, I, the jury's out on Marcel Brands. But I would just say this. David Moyes, who watched, wouldn't sign a player unless you watched him himself. He signed Per Crawled Up. Uh, the greatest manager we ever had, Howard Kendall. He signed a player... <laughs> Once from Blackburn, Glenn Keeley, and we got battered 5-0 by Liverpool, and he never played him again. They yeah. all make mistakes. The greats can make mistakes. And I've got to say, we don't, we don't see, you know, we mentioned in the last pod, didn't you, that uh, out what a great job Leicester had done, or one of your contributors mentioned that. What we don't see on the flip side of that is the mistakes they make, because mm-hmm. everybody who brings players in gets it wrong at some point. There's no absolute certainty, I don't believe, so the jury's out, definitely. But I do still... Th- I, I, You know what I think now, with Carlo being there, you've got Brands with his connections and Carlo with the pull. So I'm I'm kind of getting quite excited about mm-hmm. that making sense because I, I don't think he'd still be there if Carlo had said to the board, actually, this fellow doesn't know what he's talking about or know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. That's that's my take on it. No, you, you make some really good points. And in fairness with Delph, I get the angle, and he did only cost, I say only, it's a lot of money, but you know what I mean, in the football world, £8 million, it's not, you know, 
it's not life or death, is it? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite critical of, of Marcel Brand, but you know, fair enough. I think Everton as a club have had Brand on board long enough now that if something wasn't right, as what happened to Steve Walsh, Machiri would have moved him on, and the opposite happened. He's got a new contract, so. Hopefully it does click. Um, and there have been some good players, you know, in the, in the interest of fairness, he has brought in some good players. Um, for you, Andy, what do you think we need this summer? Um, again, is there anyone in particular that you want to see the back of? Is there anyone in particular you want to see coming in or even if there's just an area that you think Everton should prioritise? I think that we need to improve again and more, add more depth to the, to the centre of the field. I think we've seen this season, haven't we? Obviously, we've made improvements in terms of bringing Decore and Allen in. Um, unfortunately, they had some injuries in the back end of the season. And I think that that showed the lack of, of depth. You know, Tom Davies come in and done a lot, you know, done a better job than I think most would have expected. And I think he, he deserves actually a lot of credit. And, you know, looks like he, he does have a future with the club after all. Um, and other players have come in and done a job in there, I think Gomez has been right off it. I think Gomez um, may need to move on, uh, unfortunately but I think if we need we need to really focus on our centre midfield area again, we've got a lot of, you know, Michael Keane's been solid for the most part um, you know, Holgate, as you're saying, a young lad I'd like to think Holgate can, can you know, be in, the, in and around the team next season but I think we need a, another right back coming in as well, even though uh, Seamus Coleman's done, done really well uh, in the back end of the season, probably in the pair we've dropped off. I think Coleman's done quite well, actually. Um, and I think more options up front. I think that's that's clear as well. Obviously, Josh King coming in never he mustn't have had the ability to be able to push our, our you know, push for a place kind of thing, even with Richardson form is so bad. Um, so a few areas, and, and yeah, you know, I'd like to see the, the likes of Delph go out to the squad. You've seen in in the Man City documentary that he was really outspoken and if he's not in and around the squad, what is that doing? Obviously, that that's speculation. We, we don't know that. Uh, but I also agree. I think he was brought in for them leadership qualities, which as a materialised scene, was getting beat and him laughing at the end of games. That is not, it's not acceptable for, for me anyway as a fan. Um, so I, I'd like to see the back of, of Delph. Um, Sigerson, someone else I can't take to. You know, he's been really effective, you know, at certain points and, I know we missed the penalty against City from set pieces, but I feel like we carry Sigurdsson defensively and he's not, you've mentioned it plenty of times on the podcast, he's not an Everton type of player. Um, and I think we need to be looking at players now with quality, but it's got something about them that even if it's the, the, the motivation is to really want to prove themselves, to move on to a club further down the line, so be it as long as they're giving 100% for that, for that shares. I'd love it to be the reason because they love Everton. But realistically, getting foreign players in, you know, that's that's unlikely. But I just want someone who's going to be given everything for the shirt. And I, I feel we've got too many players that aren't doing that. Yeah. You know, without the person you both, I I actually think Everton, in all honesty, other than our left-back position with Luka Dean, I think there's room for improvement all over the park. And I know we can't do that in the summer. And I know dropping pick for the second half of the season has been excellent, but you know, you go through that side, there's, there's, there's areas of improvement, isn't there? I suppose the hope is, is that when you get a couple of new additions and the attitude's better and the quality's better, 
then that'll spread and improve other players. Because you touched on Tom Davis there, and Mark, you were you were advocating for him when no one else was, in fairness. And when Alan got injured, I think our fans thought, what are we going to do? And Tom Davis came in, and we actually didn't miss Alan, did we, as much as we thought. So, yeah, there's a lot of areas for me. I think you could go through the entire Everton team. I, I know that a left-back, probably you could improve in that area. Um, but yeah, I think right-back's a big one, isn't it? Because Seamus Coleman's getting out of it. It's it's a natural decline. It's not a criticism of Coleman, but I think that that's where we've been weak at times. This you know what? I'd, I'd actually mm-hmm. like to see us bring in another type of Alan Roll kind of thing, because I think what I've seen in short burst this season is Alan picking up the ball and running at the opposition. I think he's really effective at it. And I think defensively, he's, he's solid because he can cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. He can break up play. But offensively, I think I think he's good, but I don't think he's outstanding. But as I think he could add a lot to our game if he's picking that ball up and, and making a run into that, you know, into them dangerous areas and it'll open up a lot of chances for us. So I think another holding midfielder or defensive midfielder would actually allow Alan to to be more effective for us. Just a thought yeah, I think you're probably spot on there because I, I've seen a lot of fans on Twitter saying they don't like Alan being deep and I never understood it because I like Alan in a deeper role but especially especially the last couple of months when Alan came back, he, he was wanting to drive forward and and play the Charleston in and, and make things happen and he's actually got you know, a good bit of vision about him of, of opening teams up. So there's probably... Have, have we got more strength and depth there. There's probably mm. room to push Alan on. Um, Mac, for you, we've just talked about Marcel Brands. Given we've just finished 10th, some fans have, have pointed out, and rightly so, that you know we all, or the majority of us, did not like Sam Allardyce and he finished 8th. With Ancelotti finishing 10th, do you think he should or deserves to be under any pressure at the moment? No, I think you've got to take into account that on the one one hand, it's a weak. I agree with somebody who said it's a weak uh, Premier League last last year, but I think it favoured the teams who had a deeper and Andy alluded to it then had a deeper quality uh, squad. You know, had had more quality and depth, which we clearly haven't got. I mean, we've even moved the likes of Anthony Gordon out the way. We've had players like Balassi, uh, Theo Walcott who played no part. So I think we did have quite a small pool to pick from. And, and certainly even in within that pool, the quality wasn't great at times. Form was, you know, up and down. So I, I don't think he should be put under any pressure, but I take the point. I think with Allardyce, it was a different Everton side and it was a different Premier League. And I think it, it's, it's true every year, the Premier League, the Premier League teams strengthen. We won't be any different. Whether even if we weren't what we consider to be under transit in transition, which let's be honest, Everton have been in transition since 1989, haven't they? But forget that, that that for a second. We still, even if we were top of the league, you know as well as I do, you watch football long enough. You can't sit on your laurels at any point. So you can't compare the two, really. Um, that, that's my point. Um, and I think you've got to also say, you know, with Allardyce, we were chasing nothing, were we? And, the, uh, and I, I, the football wasn't any better this year at times. I agree with that. 
But I would say that, to go back to the point you made, Pete, we were at least fighting for something or literally in the, in the mix for something till the very end. And I think that's what you'll get with Ancelotti. Um, I think the 10th place finish is justified for the, the way we played, but it was a bit of a fluke. Um, it should never have happened because we know we should have beaten Sheffield United and it should have been academic, the match against City. And I think you said if we'd have had nothing to play for, we'd probably got a result against City because we know we can't trust this group of players. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And, you know, I suppose the other mitigation to it is, I think it's the first time 59 points has got 10. Normally, 59 points get you in and around Europe. I think I could be wrong. I could be just talking out of thin area. But I think when we finished fourth, I think we finished with like 64 points. So, you know, normally 59 points does get you. You want to be in football. Um, I know you... A lot of fans say, well, Ancelotti can't, can't rely on his CV and he needs to be judged, and I get that. But, you know, the thing with Allardyce and Ancelotti, you look at what Ancelotti's done in the game, and I'm not saying that that bars him from any kind of criticism, but there's a reason he's been successful. And I think if you're ever going to stick with a manager, mm. stick with a world-class manager, that's won the lot. Um, so I agree with you. It was disappointing. For me, it was a failure, but... I still, you know, I agree, Mac. I think Ancelotti's the, the man for us. And hopefully this summer, we talk, we've talked about big summers, but we've got a big manager to hopefully deliver a, a big summer. Um, for you, Andy, do you share that sentiment about Ancelotti being the man? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you asked me before if I think the season was a failure, and I said, yeah, given that the objective was to finish in the European spots. Um, that being said, you know, what would be the alternative if we were looking to put pressure on uh, on uh, Ancelotti now? Do you know what I mean? We, we don't know that. that That's so unknown. As you said, if you're going to put your trust and your loyalty in, in, and your patience in someone, it's going to be him, surely. Um, I, I've got no doubt Everton are going to become you know, a lot stronger as a team, as a unit, as a club, um, when he, you know, by the time he leaves the club. So, um, yeah, he, he's the man for me. Yeah. I'm convinced he'll he'll make us stronger and lead us in a much better position. I think I think as well. I've spoke I've spoke to some Evertonians and you know I've been critical of them at times, and they, they sort of jump right to the conclusion. I'm saying you know I'm having a go at Ancelotti and saying he's not good enough. That's obviously not the case. It's a case of you know we're, we're entitled to 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 voice our displeasure at certain things. So um, you know if there's anyone is listening. You know, at times when we've we've criticised one of his decisions or something like that, you know, we think he's the man. Just that yeah. way. Uh, yeah, he's an absolute gentleman, and I think he's a top top manager. But you know, we can still. That's what footy fans do, isn't it? You know, yeah. put, said on a tweet, we put the world to rights, don't we? Um, okay, so on a on a lighter note, then, Mark, I'll start with you. What do you think of the new away kit? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know my view. I, I've got to be honest, I'm a, a caveat here. I didn't know that it had any historical significance, this kit. Uh, my uh, daughter and her boyfriend love it, both blues. Uh, I'm not a fan when I first saw it. I went, no. But that's partly because visually I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I, I like to see Everton in a 
I've never, even though I've got it as a replica kit, it was bought for me as a gift. I don't even like the Hafnia shares. I, I want a blue, plain blue, royal blue shirt, white 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 socks, white shirt, uh, white shorts. And I also want to see them in amber when they're playing in the white kit. Now, that's just me. That's us. I, yeah, yeah, good. And uh, But yeah, I didn't know it had any significance, though, the black watch. So that I will say, if I'd known that, I might have gone. I still don't like it, but I get it. Yeah, I uh, we're, we're the same, Mac. We that Alan Ball kit we call it the Amber kit. That that's Everton's away kit for us. Um, yeah. I suppose before I give my views on it, what I would say is, and I said this in a tweet: as long as it's affordable for kids and we're winning games in it, I don't I don't care that much. Um, I I agree with you. When I saw it, I didn't like it. Um, when I saw Everton playing it, I thought it looked smart until City went through the lock. And then it started hating it again. Um, the only thing I would say, and it's only a minor point, is you know, we only wore it for one season. I don't think it's that, I don't think it is as significant as what's been made out. And what I mean is, we wore it for one season, we've worn a bright pink away kit for one season, and I hope in a hundred years' time, no one's looking back saying we need to wear that pink kit. Um, but the thing is, it, it actually isn't the same kit, but that kit in 1881 was with white socks and a red stripe. And I'm not advocating for a second ever to wear red. But I think if you're going to do it, do it. You know, put the red stripe on it and put the white socks on it. But it is what it is, isn't it? It's something different. Um, as long as we win games in it next season, I'll be all right with it. How about you, Andy? I'm colorblind, so it looks red to me. It just looks red and black to me. And uh, no, I don't like it. I, straight away, it's, it weren't even... It went even the due to the colour red or potential potential looking like it's red. I just didn't like it when I seen it. I just it's not for me. Um, but it's, as you said, you know, if you turn up and get three points, it'll, it'll be great. Yeah, I might buy um, it. <laughs> I I put a tweet out today to to see if, if any any fans wanted us to cover a certain topic. There was a fan, Toffee Dean. I think Mackie already responded to him. But the question was, or, or the topic to raise is, Charleston, and to quote Toffee Dean, is he not asked or is he in the wrong position? Mac, you've already replied, so we'll start with you. What, what's your response to that? Okay. Well, I, I gave him a short version of what, of a conversation I had with um, a relative of mine, Uncle Jed, uh, who's a mad blue. And he phoned me up and basically uh, his view on Richarlison was he cares more about playing for Brazil than he does playing for Everton. Now, that might be true, but the the inference was he's not putting the effort in for us. He's just running around. Now, that's not my take on Richarlison personally. I think he, he does care, and I think he does put the effort in. He's one of those players that tracks back, and he doesn't generally go hiding. But my point to this lad was, I, I agree with what he was saying about diving and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I don't like the way he goes to ground, but he, his form has been poor. And I think I've said it once already in the pod. His, his form was awful. And I think if we'd have had any other optional front, he'd have had to have been hooked for me. And I know Anshot, he's trying to treat him with kid gloves, keep him on side, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't. 
agree with that. I don't think it's lack of effort personally. Yeah. Um, the lads in the last podcast made a good point about Jordan Pickford's form and when Alston came in, that coincided with Pickford getting his act together. And, you know, we, we brought Josh King in and Josh King wasn't being brought on for Richarlison when he was thinking the, the, the gap out. Um, there's been games late on towards the season where be, for me, I've been wanting to see Josh King come on and get more game time. More so because of how poor Richarlison's been. I think it was Ross or Paul in the last podcast as well that described Richarlison as a bit of a showman and he said he'll score in front of the fans. You know, we both on top of it. Um, I'm with you, Mac. I don't think it's a lack of effort, but something isn't right. Um, when Duncan Ferguson took over, Richarlison and Lewin were brilliant as a two, but the two of them, I said it last week, it, it, I can't remember the last time the other one two with one another. They don't work up front at all. Um, Andy, for you, in in response to that lad question, is is he not asked or is he in the wrong position? I think what he means is Richarlison gets put on the left and then ends up coming into the middle. What do you think the issue is with him at the moment? I don't think it's a lack of work rate or lack of effort. I think that he's, you know... I think he, he's gonna he wants to progress on to, to bigger things than where Everton are at, at the moment, which is absolutely fine. I completely get that. And I think that, uh, that there's been times I don't know, you know, it's come across to me sometimes he's tried too hard. But when I mentioned before about a rift in the squad, I can't help but think that Richardson's involved in that somehow or somewhere. There's been a, a you know a, a falling out of the dynamics that broke down around Richarlison. Um, he's been involved in something that that's just me, me natural feeling when I'm looking at the body language of the players before the game on the pitch even um, I, I said earlier on the season I get the impression he wants to be the man and the fact that he hasn't been and you know Garvett Lewin's been so prolific well you know especially the first part of the season you know he's been prolific and quite consistent throughout um, I think he's been felt a bit pushed out and it, it, it was his season to really push on and sort of make that progression towards, uh, you know, moving to a top European team and it hasn't materialised for him. I get a lot of frustration from him and more of that, he, he's he's not performing because of it, I, either trying too hard or it's just not working out for him. Um, but yeah, I don't think that he doesn't care. I don't think it's a case of you know lack of effort or anything like that. It's just that it's just not working out at the moment for him. I think, I think if anything, it's probably the opposite. If that makes sense, and I go you know you go back to the Goodison derby where he put that tackle in, which put us under pressure and they got sent off. And even recently, I think it was Crystal Palace at home where Everton got a free kick on the edge of the area, and he he's like a schoolboy on the yard, isn't he? Wants to take the free kick off the actual free kick takers. Probably trying too hard, and um, there's something not right. I, I know what you mean about a potential rift. It was only he's playing as an individual. Yeah, that's the impression I get. I I agree. The impression I get is that I think he thought this was his season because his momentum, you know, in his first couple of seasons at Everton, he's been playing well, and I think this season we were hoping that he'd be elevated. I think Calvert Lewin's goal return is what we thought would be for a Charleston. Um, but I think it's been a write-off and I think he is a bit of a showman so when the fans are back I think we'll probably see a better player um, I agree, my gut feeling is I think he thought this was his summer for, for a big money move but you know, 
regardless of that, in terms of Evan, I don't think he's been good enough to be starting games for Evan the last mm. the last few games. Um, so yeah, you know, I think for him, it's it's one of those and they put the season to bed and come back a better, more rounded player. I think the other thing is he's still a young lad, isn't he? You know, when he's still got a lot to learn and he's got the best manager to to help him, you know, improve as a player. Um, if we move on then to our talk on top of these awards, we, we'll go through them. Um, we'll start with the player of the season. Obviously, Everton have named it as Calvert-Lewin, but we'll have our, our own take on it. Mark, I'll start with you. Who was your player of the season for this year? Really difficult decision because I don't think anybody has been outstanding. Uh, my contenders in my own mind were uh, Decore, Godfrey, and probably Alan. Um, I don't think Rodriguez has been on the pitch long enough to earn it for me, although you know he's at times outstanding. But I've gone for Decore after giving it some serious thoughts. Um, because of what he, he gives us something we don't have, um, and he's one of those players that is, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think he's fully fit yet. Uh, hopefully you'll see a fully fit Decore firing next season. And I believe he needs to score more goals, but He's that box-to-box workhorse that we haven't had. Big, strong, physical. Um, and it, with the right midfield, if you could just get it right. And I don't think it's a team game now. It's a squad game. You need the right blends. He will be, you know, some player as we start to stamp our authority in the coming years, which I truly believe we will under Ancelotti. I think, you know, he won't stand for anything other than that. And he's going to play a big part for me. But good start, good first season for me in a difficult year. That's a good shout. I think before his injury, he was outstanding. And um, there's no debate was there in terms of when, you know, the start of lineup, he was a shiver. Um, can't argue with that, Mac. Good shout. For you, Andy, who was your player of the season? Yeah, I had a little think about it the other day, and I'd probably agree with uh, Calvert Lewin. To be honest with you, I do think that he, he could have been better. Obviously, you know, he said about a lot of players, but I think he he was at times where he sort of could have showed that you know a bit more composure and got a few more on the score sheet. But I think given that the start of the season as well, how effective he was, um, you know, and the improvements that he made to his game. But overall, I do think that he, he was probably our most effective player. Um, you could argue Rodriguez when he was on the pitch, but as Matt alluded to, he. That, that wasn't enough to really push for that that uh, that play. So I, I give it to Dominic Carvalhoon, even though I do agree about the Corey and Allen in particular. I think they were um, really effective and the, the injuries really, you know, really impacted us when, when they were out of the squad. Yeah. I've gone with Carvalhoon as well. And I agree with you, Mac. I don't think anybody was outstanding that it was an easy decision. I think for me, it was more... He was our top scorer, 21 goals. Agree with you, Andy. I think he should have scored more. Um, there was times where his finishing wasn't great, but I think for his age, I think his goals early on in the season carried us, um, and his goals kept us in contention for Europe. So, not that anyone was truly outstanding. I think the core is a good shout, but I, I will go with Calvert Lewin as well. Um, young player of the season. Who did you go for, Andy? It depends on what, what you're going with, Young, but I'd, I'd say Ben Godfrey myself. 
I think that, you know, considering he's still a young lad, I think he, as you said before, he's Everton him. 100%. You know, he gets it. He's been solid for the most part. Um, the odd mistake in there, but that's that's expected and part of his development. But yeah, I, I've got Ben Godfrey. I think he's been he's been brilliant and potentially one of our. He, he could have been pushing Cavalier, in my opinion, anyway, for, for that. Yeah, I, I went with Godfrey as well. I think up there with the Corey, probably arguably signing of the season. Um, other than Southampton away and the Etihad, I thought you put at City. I think he's been solid. Um, and I think probably what's been great about him is that when he's came in, he's not really he wasn't in his position for a long time. Mm. Left back, right back. We actually never missed Luca Dean when he went out the team because of how good Godfrey was. So yeah, proper Everton player, loves to tackle, absolutely rapid. I, I think, you know, I can't wait to see more of him. I think he, you know, did good things to come from him. So yeah, I went with Godfrey too. Mark, who did you go for? Same again, Godfrey. And I agree with everything you say. Um, he's like a mobile brick toilet, isn't he? Um, and he can tackle. <laughs> we love that. But I, the only thing I'd say about him, uh, area for improvement, now, I'm not saying it's a weakness, where they've got to work on him. If you look at the goal he laid on for, was it for DCL or Richarlison? He put a perfect pass through to somebody. Was it Calvert-Lewin at I think, West yeah. Ham? It yeah. was. That was the one. Um, and it was it was such a great pass. So it shows he's got it. What I want to see more from him is a bit more confidence when he's on the ball and defence. Too often for me, and in the second half of the season, not always his fault because I think we have a lack of movement when, when, we've, when we've got possession. Where if you look at what City do compared to us, it's a million miles away. We're a bit too static when we're on the ball, a bit too slow. And what happens is he, he invariably turns back where I'd like to see him pass it forward or run with the ball. We know he's got that ability. When he gets off and running with the ball, we've seen him do it a few times, haven't we? We've just gone on a mad run. I'm not saying he should do that all the time, but that's one of the things we lack at Everton is players running with the ball at times. And that does upset the opposition. If, you know, because everybody's if you're not running with the ball and the, the two teams are static, then you're never going to break the lines. You need players doing that. But yeah, to go back to it, great uh, debut season. And he's absolutely uh, the type of player we all love to watch. I love, I love seeing him tackle. I yeah. love that noise. Because I was actually, I was at the Wolves game and he made right. a tackle in that and you, you actually heard it mm. um, resounding around mm. <laughs> the stadium. It was brilliant. He does feel like a, a proper Everton player, doesn't he? I, I think what you said there, Mac, is spot on. And I actually think we'll see more of that when he trusts his defence and his midfield. I think what I mean by that is going on a run, trying to take men on or, or being positive with that pass. You've got to trust the midfielder receiving it. Or if you get caught in possession, what's behind you? I don't think he's probably there yet in terms of who we've got at the back and and obviously the midfield, especially when Alan or the core aren't there. Um, I agree with you. There's a lot to learn. I actually, and again, it might make me unpopular. I think he's a little overrated in our fan base, and I think he's brilliant. But he's got a lot to learn, and you know, some of our fans talk about him up here. Um, you know, we saw Sheffield United score where he let his man go, and I'm not putting the finger at him totally. There was other players at fault, but 
you know, he's he's a talent, isn't he? But he's he's got he's got a career in front of him, and you know, there's a lot for him to learn. Um, okay, then. So the next one, the most improved player. I I thought the contenders for me were Delphi Sigurdsson. From the point of view of, I can see Andy's face. From the point of view <laughs> of of his previous seasons compared to this season, um, I think Ancelotti's got the most anyone will get out of him. Jordan Pickford, second half of the season, I don't think he's put a foot wrong really. Um, but I, I went with Tom Davis, which I didn't think I would say. Um, in particular, when Alan got injured, I think we, we all thought, you know, we're in trouble here because it was just before January and, you know, we were so reliant on Decore and Alan and Gomez at that midfield three. But Tom Davis came in and he was like, he was, he was like a different player. He was so composed. He wanted the ball, but he was very positive, which we hadn't so much of since the first season. Positive in the play. And if you look at Everton's second goal at Anfield, Davis creates that, getting the ball to the Charleston. So, for me, I don't know what his career holds at Everton, and I don't think he's the be-all and end-all now, but I think there's been a massive improvement in his game, so I gave it to, to Davis. Um, Matthew, would you say he's the most improved player at Everton? Well, it won't surprise you that I'd agree with you entirely, Pete. Uh, I, I am a Tom Davis fan. Uh, you know that from what I, when I said that, when I got all the... Uh, like everybody else was thinking the opposite, weren't they? We need to yeah. get rid. Um, uh, but I, I knew this was a big season for him. Uh, even listened to your podcast at the beginning of the season, and I wasn't, you know, I think you you kind of wondered whether he should be here and, you know, in yeah. a not too distant future. And I'd go along with that as much as I liked him and I wanted him to succeed. There was something in there, and he's got that thing. He's got those two things I mentioned earlier for me. He's got a football and brain. And he's got aggression, and I love that about him. Well, what he hasn't got, he isn't the most gifted technically. Um, mm-hmm. But David Ancelotti said he was the most improved player himself, and I think the reason is he's intelligent as well. Tom Davis, he's realised that you've got David and Carlo Ancelotti here. If you're going to listen to two coaches, you listen to them, and you do what they say. And I think that's the reason why his career is now back on track a bit. And I agree with you. I don't know what the future holds. It may be that he only ever is a squad player at Everton. But I'd like to see an Evertonian in the squad anyway, personally. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he'll ever let us down. Now, all right, he, he made a stupid pass against City, but he wasn't the only one who did it in that game. And he wasn't the only one who did it throughout the season. But yeah, for me... Um, made up to, to see Tom, you know, back where he needs to be on his career. Because, let's face it, you know, he, he's a young lad and we've had how many managers we had during the time he's been at Everton? Kerman, Allardyce, Silva, Ancelotti, Unworth, yeah. too there many for Duncan Ferguson. That's the thing, you know, he, need, he does need a bit of stability and I think the, I think Carlo calms people down and he, I agree with you about your other two. Jordan Pickford, he's had a calm and influence on him as well as having that competition from the other fella. And I think you're right. He's got a tune out of Gilfrey Sigurdsson because he knows Sigurdsson's a decent man. And I think Sigurdsson does care. He isn't one of those players, though, who'll 
appear to get sweat on the share for the cause. But I think he does care. He's not, I think he's a consummate professional. And I can hear Andy groaning in the background. But, <laughs> but I know, I know what you, and I know because he stunk last season, Sigurdsson. He's almost the antithesis of what he was this year. Yeah, I, I think the difficulty with Sigurdsson for a lot of fans, and I get it as well, is he's just not an Everton midfielder that we give to. He's not going to roll the sleeves up and get stuck in. He's not going to go in for 50-50s. He's his own man, you know, and he tries, but he's his own man and he plays in that number 10. And, you know, he's very, this season he's been quite effective at it, but yeah, for you and there, I get, I get where you're coming from with it. Um, so I don't expect you to say Sigurdsson. Don't who would you? <laughs> <laughs> who, who would be your most improved player then? Do you know what? I think I've got to say it for the, the first part of the season with Slated the Man. Everybody podcast and every chance I got. Um, I'm gonna go for Yeri Mina. Um, I think that the the, the partnership he developed with uh, Michael Keane, you know, was brilliant for the most part. I know we didn't feature towards the back end of the season, so it can be easy to forget. But there was a period, a, a chunk in the season there that we looked solid defensively, especially away from home, and he was a big part of that. And you know, we he won me. You know, I come around to the idea of Yeri Mina being in the starting eleven because before then I, I didn't I didn't rate him at all. So I'm going to go for Mina myself. But I completely understand, and probably the the answer would be Tom Davis because, you know, I, I, we I was quite vocal saying it was a shame he never had a, a loan in the past, like his future was was written off kind of thing. And he's came in and and he's done a job for us, and you know he is an Evertonian. And I think as well what what went underrated. I think I mentioned it after after the Derby win at Anfield. His tackle was a big part, or two tackles actually, is a big part why we won that game. And we all know that tackles can change football games, especially more years ago. But that they, he put two tackles in in that game that really contributed to us getting three points at Anfield that night. And that he's, that's what he's got in the locker, you know, if he, when he puts himself about when and a bit of grit and determination. So fair play to the lad. And I think he you know, he's made sure that he's got a future at Everton, in my opinion. So, yeah. I, I think his career is still up in the air in terms of if we're going to continue in, in a three-man midfield, is he good enough to play every week? But I think as long as he continues to get stuck in, continues to get his head up on the ball and try and be positive, then I think he will have a, some kind of career at Everton. Definitely, as you said, Mark, as a squad player, um, I just didn't see it in fairness. You know, last season I, I did want him gone. I was when Newcastle were linked with him, I wanted to see him gone. I love Scouts as an Evertonian playing for Everton, but only if we're good enough. And I, I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. But that performance at Anfield, I haven't saw an Everton midfield a play like that at Anfield in a, in a long time. So, I, yeah, for me, that can't go under the radar. Um, goal of the season, um, I, I think we may all be on the same. Page with this one. I've gone with Richarlison at Anfield for obvious reasons. Um, Mac, your goal of the season? Well, I was going to go for that one, but I'll go for the one you we mentioned earlier, um, where Godfrey put the ball through to Calvert Loon against West Ham. Uh, I, I was amazed. I had to look back and I, I, I couldn't remember who passed it. And when I saw it was Godfrey, I was absolutely gobsmacked because it was just inch perfect. But yeah, the goal at Anfield, you know, it was just he, literally even Richarlison then, thank God, couldn't miss it. 
it was just, it was almost as if somebody put the ball down. You know, if you had to pick the perfect spot for the ball to be, both of those goals are similar. Just put it there for me. And if I hit it right, it'll go in. It, feel, it felt iconic at the time. I know it's only three minutes in, and I, I'm not going to sit back now and go, well, we knew we were going to win after three minutes at Anfield, but it did feel a bit iconic at the time. Just a shame the, the way in, um, Cop in there for him to really rub it in. <laughs> Andy, for you, what was your goal of the season? Do you know what? I went through a few today, actually, and um, going for a different one, and probably a little bit surprising. Uh, but the goal Rodriguez scored against Leicester, yeah, with his right foot, I think his footwork on that, and it was to me anyway. I remember watching it, it was out the blue, and it was a it was a moment that I said he's something special, and like you know that just. That fills to someone else and they crumble and they lay it back or whatever. He made something out of nothing his footwork and then with his weaker foot as well. And the finish, you know, to to, to put it in the way he did. That that's that's my goal this season. Even though Anfield, uh, the goals there were quite special. I, I agree. I, I I actually think in terms of quality, that was the goal of the season. Hammers against Leicester, but if Richarlison's gone from a yard out, I'd have given it to Richarlison. <laughs> just just for the importance. Um, okay, so highlights of the season for me, ending that drought at Anfield, um, winning 2 0 there. Yeah, I think given the season that we had, I don't think anything comes close to winning 2 0 there. Um, for you, Mac, what's your highlights of the season? I I think that's hard to beat yours, people. I would say for me, uh, it's being top of the league and the next match being the derby in October. Loved every minute of it. We were we were playing them, and then we were we we're actually top. So that was that was my personal highlight. That do, that does be to Everton being top of the league is, is the pinnacle, isn't it? There's, mm. there's no there's no higher than that. Andy, for you, highlights of the season. You know it's got to be Anfield, but uh, even getting getting into the charts was a uh, was a big part of the season, wasn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> Every chance it was just getting played everywhere, and I think it was a really, it was a nice time. It was a fun time to be an Evertonian, and I haven't, um, I haven't felt like that for a while being an Everton fan. But it was really nice at, at that time. You know, I was really excited to every game coming around. You know, was, that, that that song was on every bloody minute of every day, kind of thing. Like no matter what video you looked at, so yeah, it was it was a fun time, and I think that that feeling. More so than uh, anything, but winning at Anfield, obviously, and, um, with the lockdown and stuff like that, I got to watch it, you know, through the window. But it was with, with my dad as well, so, um, so yeah, I enjoyed the, the game at Anfield. Yeah, I, I think um, it just makes you think, doesn't it? What we'd like if we actually won a trophy. When <laughs> you, when you know, we got we win seven on the trot, and as you say, it was an unbelievable time, and. I know fans from the outside looked in mainly across the park and you know, they were saying you thought you won the league. We we didn't. We just we enjoyed ever winning games of football. And if you can't enjoy winning games of football, what what's it about? You know. Um I had going off on a tangent, I had a Liverpool fan who started retweeting my tweets after winning the derby three months ago. Um saying uh, you know, you're humble now and you spoke too soon and 
they don't understand it. When you win games of football, you don't know how long it's going to last. You've got to enjoy it. And I didn't even tweet anything about Liverpool. I just tweeted that, you know, Mercy's out of blue, which it was and which it'll always be. Um, so, yeah, I think while Everton are winning games, it's great, isn't it? And hopefully, with the fans in that own form that we saw this year, that, that's a thing of the past. Um, so, talking of our home form, then I'll just finish it up then. What was your low point of the season? Andy, I'll start with you. What, what, what was your, out of everything, what was your lowest point this season? I don't know. There was quite a few of them home games that were just when um, it wasn't happening. Do you know what? I think it was, believe it or not, I think it was when we played Villa at home a few games ago, believe it or not. I know there's probably, oh, I don't know whether it was worst performances, but... No, I think he has been, but it was almost like it, the lack of character in the squad was so evident that game when there was something on the line. And I think that was the most disappointing moment for me because I've been back and forth, back and forth, and it was that moment I realised we're not getting Europe and I don't think we're good enough. Uh, so I think that was actually the most disappointing, even though there was plenty of performances that were disappointing throughout the season. I think for me, I mean, you could pick any home game, but for me, it was that City game. Um, not because we lost to City, as I say, that can happen. Um, but I think the fact that if we'd have won, we could have got Europe. Um, obviously, we know now we couldn't, but at the time, had we won, we'd have had a chance of Europe. And I think given that, given what was at stake for the game to be over after 30 minutes, that was a, a low point. You know, I expected an Everton side to compete on the last and if we lost, we lost, but I didn't expect the season to be over 13 minutes into the last game. Um, and then to finish 10th, for me, as I said earlier, for, you know, that's a failure for me, given the season, that how it started and, and the way it developed. Um, Mac, for you, was there any points in particular, any match? What was your lowest point of the season? I think my lowest was the Sheffield United game. Um I thought we were appalling in the game uh, and Ancelotti called it right. Uh, it was unacceptable. And it was. And what, what made it worse for me is I knew I was going the Wolves game, which was coming after that. And I actually, I just right after the game, I thought, I almost don't want to go. Mm. And yet I'd miss going to Goodison Park. I'm glad I did because it was great to get back there. But yeah, I just thought... For all the reasons that you've got about City, I just felt so deflated after the Sheffield United game because, as you you pointed out earlier, Everton team should never allow that to happen. And I'm not being arrogant. What you say is we're better than them. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to prove it. And we, for whatever reason, the players just didn't have it in them to do it. And that's when I thought... And I thought things like then... Actually, there are players in this squad we're going to have to go. I mean, I personally, I've mentioned two I think should go. But I always liked Bernard and I always liked Gomez. But if you look at what they deliver, Bernard is not a favourite of Ancelotti, I think, because of his size. But they don't actually, they don't sort of give you enough end product out of them. So I do actually think he's one, I agree, perhaps should be moved on. And it's players like that. I mean, even you mentioned Luca Dean. I don't think he's been great this season, but I think that's symptomatic of the squad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I always say about Luca Dean, I think 
the, the main benefit you get with him is going forward, which sounds daft, he's a left-back, but I think defensively, I think Ben Godfrey was as good as him, if not better. When Godfrey went in, the, in that left-back spot, it was just more from a, an attacking point of view. I think you spot on about Sheffield United, Mark, and I felt so sorry for the Evertonians because, you know, had Everton even drew that game, it would have gave us a realistic chance of Europe, you know, for the Evertonians going to the Wolves game was something to play for. As it happened, Tottenham lost on the night as well, so, you know, they keep Europe alive. But, yeah, I think most fans will say that Sheffield United game at home was the low because, you know, the, the bottom of the league and relegated for a reason. And it's not being arrogant, but it's also having pride in, in knowing your identity with Everton. You're a relegated side. And as long as we put a shift in, we should slap you by a couple of goals. And given that Europe was still a possibility for us to crumble with kids scoring, I mean, how Everton was that to let a kid score? You know, no harm to him, but you shouldn't have been getting a touch. Um, and I, I said to Andy when we preview that game, I wanted Everton to suffocate them in the sense of wave and wave after attack, keep them in their own half and then just get the goals and they just don't have it in them, unfortunately. This current group and there's, I agree with you, there's players who I like, like Andre Gomez, but I think now you're thinking, well, there's a reason we're failing here. We need to cut the cloth and players who are decent lads but aren't up to it, like Gomez, like Bernard, they need moving on. Um, but yeah, it's a big summer ahead and I'm sure we'll be back recording soon, covering it all. Um, so, Mark, thanks for joining us again tonight. It's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I know it's not nice after finishing 10th and losing 5-0 <laughs> to City, but it's always nice to have you on. Um, and that's it for this week's episode of Talking Sloppies at the Curtain Falls and the 2020-2021 season. We want to thank you all for listening throughout the season. It's not the ending we wanted. There's another huge summer ahead and we'll no doubt analyse our transfer dealings as the summer progresses. Thanks everyone for listening. Up the toppies. <laughs>